people are emotionally troubled, mentally troubled, spiritually troubled, all of those things. Someone's got to stand firm in the midst of all that. So this is okay. I'm the Reverend Alison Taylor, minister at the Baptist Church at Potter Street. Thankful for everything God has given me and proud of the church that I serve. I think in the last three months, life has changed dramatically in so many ways. I mean, when the coronavirus thing, the lockdown initially started, there was that air of panic, um, of overwhelmingness that I felt that in the congregation, I felt that in the community. Um, we had to change the way we do everything. We can't do the things that we consider really important, that we love to do. We love to be in relationship with the community and we can't do that at the moment. Um, and so it was trying to find ways of meeting people's needs and just being there for people, but not physically. On a personal level, how have you adapted to all those changes, becoming an electronic pastor? Well, I am not the most technical person in the history of the universe. So it's been quite a steep learning curve. I'm very grateful for my colleagues who are. We're basically, we're doing church every Sunday at 11 o'clock, which is when we normally meet. We're doing it online. It's taken on something completely different to what it would be if it was in church. But it is church for us at the moment and it's pulling us together. As I'm not the most technological person in the history of the universe, that has all been quite a challenge. OK, I've come to terms with it now, but I didn't know how to work WhatsApp or all that recording stuff. Um, it was all, well, wizardry as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and, we, and we do our music uh, for church. We still do that. But four of us do it in our front rooms and somebody, I think it's Black Magic and his little gadget, makes it all and it sounds perfectly like we've all done it together to be honest but it has been a huge challenge and I'm very much a face-to-face -face person. You're also a community person so that's obviously how it's affecting the church community but you're very much a part of the town community. Have you missed being a part of the town community? Have you missed sitting in bus stops talking to people? I am in contact with them. I walk a lot around and people come out and they chat to me. And I really did sense the panic um, and the feeling that they weren't in control of what's going on. And I really, really sensed quite a lot of people reaching out to God at the beginning, trying to find some sense of purpose and some sense of uh, being, what was going on, who was in control when they knew that they weren't. So I'm still very much part of this community. How did you respond to questions about what's happening, that early panic? Well, I had a lot of questions. Questions like, is God causing this? Is it because we've turned our back on God? Is it deadly pestilence? I didn't even know what that was, to be honest. But um, I, I absolutely believe in a God of love and that the last thing he would do is anything that's going to cause this much distress across the planet. I do believe that uh, if people turn toward God, he will find them, he will hold them in that place. Um, I had lots of doorstep conversations surrounding that. You know, just if you stick to the basic principle that God is love and Jesus loves me, whatever, then there's a security in that. Now, you can't impart that to other people if they're not prepared to accept that. But if they see that security in you, 
then they say, you know, why are you as secure as you are in the midst of all this? They know that I've got a lot of health issues, so they think I should be frightened of it, and I'm not. Because I absolutely believe in a God of love, and I don't have any concerns about him causing this. If you're trying to blame someone, then it's humanity. You were very open last time we spoke about your conversations with God, the fact that you sit there and have a chat with him. How have you communicated with him about this? What questions have you asked him? I think it's more, as I say, I don't believe God caused this. I have, I've asked him to stop it, certainly. Um, I've asked him to protect parts of the world that don't have the uh, health service and the government provision that we have, that live in poverty, that live really close together, that they don't have the security, they don't have a front door to close. Um, you know, India, I can't, those refugee camps, I can't even comprehend the way that those places would suffer in this. And I've really prayed that there wouldn't be suffering on a global scale beyond, you know, there is suffering and, and we can't seem to be able to do anything about that. For me, that's the bottom line. I don't want people to suffer if they don't have to. And that's what I've really kept going on and on and on at him about. He probably thought, oh, shut up, woman, for goodness sake. But it, that, that's where my heart was. My heart was for other people and their pain and their struggle and their suffering. Because I do believe that God changes people's lives. I do believe that he hears my prayers. I do believe that um, he acts as a response of our anxiety and our yearning, if you like. So you've been at the forefront of this. You're a key worker. You're still very much part of the community you're listening to concerns, you're fielding questions. What has been the lowest point? I'm a cup half full person always. There was an evening um, when I hadn't done any funerals at all. I knew then that I had nine and I had three the following day. Only one of them was from COVID. Um, altogether now I have done 14 funerals. I did those over the space of four weeks. So I haven't done any now, I think for three or four weeks. I can't quite remember. But there was that Sunday evening when I just thought, what is going on? Because you then conduct those funerals. They can only have 10 people present. They cannot sit together. You cannot greet them. You cannot hug them. It's a cold experience. And my concern is that there's a whole nation out there who, when this is all over, are going to loads of grief is just going to pour out um, and the mental health of the nation that worries me as well but that that one night when I just thought this is beyond me you know those are the times when you just think society's gone mad you know you can't shake people's hands or I'm a huggy touchy person it's alien absolutely alien but yeah mm. the mental health side of it I think is we've yet to see the impact haven't we yeah I think so how do you prepare people for emerging from this? I think it's a matter of being there when we emerge, to be honest. I think that on the through the services that we've been doing and through the prayer meetings, I think we've discussed that kind of thing. And we pray constantly for those who are isolating. Um, some of the people in the church are struggling, especially those who were just bereaved before this happened, who've been married for you know over 50 years, and suddenly they're bereaved and then they've got to stay in on their own. Um, so I absolutely agree that there is going to be an outpouring of grief and there's also going to be, 
is the whole nation going to be in a situation of PTSD? I wonder that as well. I just think that people are, they, they don't know who they are. They don't know, whatever, whatever you discuss with people, people are more emotional than they normally are. I'm not an emotional person. I can't say that, that I respond in an emotional way. But a lot of people are saying to me, you know, I've forgotten this or I keep crying at this or whatever. And I just think it's the time. And if people are crying, then that's a release, isn't it? But I think there is going to be a time when we're going to have to address this as a nation. And I'm, what I'm, one of the things that I'm thinking about is a town-wide memorial service where people can come and just grieve. I mean, they might not even have had anybody die, but it might be an opportunity for people to grieve. I'm also thinking about a Thanksgiving service for all those key workers, for all the people that have worked. But obviously we can't do that until next year. But the grief isn't necessarily about loss of a person. It's a loss of identity, it's a loss of uh, a situation that you had, status with mm. a job. Mm. There's so much mm. that's been lost. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I think that this is all going to come out when we can get out, isn't it? When we can see each other face to face. I think one of the things that will release it is touch. Because I think that until people start to feel that again, then it doesn't release anything within them. It's something that they hold inside. Um, but so many people, I mean, it's going to take years for the economy to get itself back together. And so the the um, entertainment industry, all, you know, they're going to be the people that it's going to take the longest, isn't it? Um, who knows? We're just going to have to be there when it all happens, I think. Not wishing to dwell too much on the funeral side of the last three months for you and the loss for the community that you exist in. How has it been seeing the destruction that's occurred within a care home, for example? Mm, mm. Well, we one of the local care homes had, I think it's either 17 or 18 deaths. Um, and one of those was a member of staff and all the others were residents of a home that has, I think, 46 people in it. Now, that's devastating. We had one lady that was in there. Um, we've got another gentleman that's still in there, and I absolutely believe he had it. But, you know, it it really happened before lockdown. Somebody came back from hospital. It, there wasn't the consideration. It flew through the place. You know, it is devastating in so many ways because in in a lot of ways, that's their family. Can you imagine working there and 17 people dying? I mean... That, that's beyond comprehension, isn't it, in so many ways. You know, still, we cannot go in. I've got two ladies in hospital at the moment. I cannot go and see them. Mm. At the outset, a lot of people were saying, well, the world will reset and things will change and it will be better. And I wonder if, as time has gone on, that's less likely because... There's going to be fewer jobs for people to fight for. There's going to be less income for people to earn. There's going to be more desperation. What do you think about that? I think those aren't necessarily my immediate thoughts, actually. But that things won't be the things will be different for those reasons. But what was their motivation for thinking there would be a change in the first place? Um, was it that they thought the natural world was making great you know, steps forward, that pollution was less. They're the things I worry about. But um, I think as well that as times, 
think about the Spanish flu in 1918. You know, that killed 30 to 50 million, as far as I can recall. I might have not got those figures right. Did that change society in such a way that, you know, it, it was reset? And I'm sure they dealt with the same issues. What about MERS and SARS more recently and known to us? You know, did that reset society in any way in the Far East where it affected most? No. So I do just wonder if, because this has been more global, whether people will... Re I mean, I've not spent nearly as much money as I normally do. And then I start asking myself, well, what did I spend my money on? You know, what on earth was I spending money on? Is that going to change? Do you know what I mean? Just lots of... I, I honestly don't think... I think that in 10 years, everything will be exactly the same. Five, two, I don't know. You're right, though. You do wish you'd saved more. <laughs> <laughs> what did I spend my money on? <laughs> so there's obviously another dimension been added to this world order chaos in the last couple of weeks with the Black Lives Matter campaign. How has that impacted you? I don't think there's a person on this earth that's in this sort of position that hasn't reflected on that um, and considered it. And, and my main thought was, I don't want to be ignorant about this. I don't want to speak without integrity and I don't want to be silent. Um, so it was a matter of some tr trying to dwell on those people that I know that are of colour, speaking to them without, without trying to be patronising, because that's what your concern is, as when they all see you, you know, it's been an eye-opener to realise that we are perceived as white supremacists, um, when that would be the last thing that I would want to be seen as, but just because I am white then I have that label. Um, so really and truly, it's been a matter of reflection, consideration. Um, and I, in the end, um, I wrote some prayers and I've put that out to the congregation. I might put it on the website, I'll see. But, you know, should I put something on the website? Shouldn't I put something on the website? Is that, what is that saying? Is that just glib? Is that dealing with the situation appropriately? Is that just, oh, we'll have to sort that out? It, it, it's much deeper than that, isn't it? Um, and it is something that I've dwelt on, but I haven't really come to any conclusions about. But I hope that this will change society in a way that uh, I really want there to be equality and a celebration of diversity. I think that is the most important thing that should come out of this. Um, and, you know, it never occurred to me that the people that I socialise with, that I care about and I love, didn't feel that we were equals. That was a shock to me. It's going to take a long time to mm. repair, isn't it? Mm, mm, mm. And again, you know, loads of black people have been killed by the police. I really need this in my mind to be something that is transformational for a length of time, that changes things on a permanent basis, that isn't just another thing that we reflect on, we move on, and then we carry on in the same way. And the COVID thing, the same. I don't want it to be something that we, we, we think about, we consider, we change for, you know, and then we move on in the same way. I think these are both real opportunities to make a difference to the planet that we live on and for future generations to have more hope, if you like. Do you still have hope? Absolutely. I don't doubt it for a minute. I don't doubt God knows what he's doing. 
you know, I, I might say, what are you doing? But I don't doubt for one second. One of my catchphrases in the early days of this, that we are hope dispensers. We have got hope. And if we can't share it, then the nation is lost. Um, so absolutely I do. Without a shadow of a doubt, I believe that God knows what he's doing. I don't question that. Is there a particular verse that you have come back to time and again or that is particularly relevant right now? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It then says something which I can't quite recall off the top of my head and it says, he will direct your paths. He will make your path straight. So I don't understand what's going on. I haven't got a clue, but trust in God and he will. That's one of them. Psalm 91 is another one that talks about us being um, sheltered in the shadow of his wing, which was really important in the early days when, you know, everything was chaotic and nobody really comprehended. I don't think we comprehended at the beginning that this would go on this long. And Psalm 46 as well says it does a whole lot of, you know, when the world will go into chaos, but God is in control. This terrible things will happen, but God is in control. And then it says, be still and know that I am God. I have no doubt about that. So, yes, back to those often, put them out to the congregation often. Psalm 121, um, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. All of those things have become very important, I think, to me personally and to the congregation as a whole. And a message to finish, faith, hope. All of that. I absolutely, I have no doubt in my mind that God has a plan and a purpose in this. My job is to trust in him and to encourage others to do the same. People are emotionally troubled, mentally troubled, spiritually troubled, all of those things. Someone's got to stand firm in the midst of all that and say, this is okay. And I absolutely believe that. I'm not just saying that. Potter Street Baptist Church, the people of Potter Street Baptist Church are amazing. They've been phoning each other. They've been writing to each other. They've been coming to pray. They've been contacting people outside the church. They are doing an amazing job. But, you know, how long can we maintain this? I mean, it is getting a bit tiresome. But without God, we are up the doodah without a what's it.